Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Good morning, South Valley, and we know that you're tuning in right now. If you're watching us at 9 o'clock, we're live with you, and we're excited to be able to worship the Lord together. And if you're tuning in later, maybe you're grabbing this on any of our platforms, social media, or YouTube, or our website, and you're watching us, we just want to let you know that this is an opportunity to come before God and give Him praise and just take Him in this morning. So let's give God praise from where you are. Come on. Dawn of creation This world has been crying out for hope For a hero to save us We long for the supernatural There is only one God who can save the day To clear the stage, prepare the way Cause heaven and earth are singing Glory, hallelujah Come on! Let the whole world see the greatness of our God. In awesome wonder, He reigns forever. We know the greatness of our God. His power is endless. He lives within us. We know the greatness of our God. None who can stop him, not even the grave could hold him down. There is only one key to save the day, to clear the stage, clear the way. It's heaven and earth are singing, yeah, glory, hallelujah. Come on, let the whole world see.
Amen, amen. Give the Lord a hand from where you are. Give him some praise. Hey, church, you know, this is different for all of us. We're trying to stay safe. We're trying to guard one another. And we know that uh, things are just crazy and nuts. We realize that. But the thing that I want to give to you this morning is remember this. God is not a God of chaos. God is a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a God worthy of praise. And regardless of our circumstances, we give him praise. We say, I will praise you through it all. I will give you praise. Keep our eyes on him. Find the joy in him, our hope in him. So lift this song up. Come on. Sing these words. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God is never late. He's working all things out. He's working all things out. Sing, yes, I will. Lift you high in the lowest valley, my Lord. I will bless your name. Come on. Sing, yes, I will. Sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Oh, yes, I will. That's right. Count on one thing, same God that never fails, will not fail me now. You won't fail me now, and in the waiting, same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Oh, yes, I will lift you high.
Lord, we come before you this morning and we lift these words up from our heart to your throne, Lord. But again, regardless of what we're dealing with, Lord, you will make a way. Lord, I pray this morning that as we sing these words, as we sing this song, we would hold on to the truths found in these words. Lord, that you're a way maker. You're moving. We just don't see you. That we wouldn't get our eyes fixed on our circumstances or what's going on around us or what's going on in the world, Lord, but we would get fixed on you because regardless of what's going on, we have a work to do. We have a work to change lives, to be an example of your love to a hurting world. Lord, so make a way. As we lift these words up, make a way in our hearts. Make a way in our minds, in our homes, in our communities. Make a way through us to be your light, to shine bright for all to see, to draw people to you for your glory so that they can have a life that is changed for all eternity. Regardless of circumstances, once they know you, there is grace, hope, and peace through that. We give these words to you this morning in your precious name. Amen. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here. Moving in our midst, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, working in this place, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, miracle worker. Promise keep light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker. Promise keep light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. Yeah.
working And even when I don't feel that you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't feel that you're working And even when I can see that you're working You never stop, you never stop working You never stop, you never stop working Even when I don't see that you're working even when I don't feel that you work again, you never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you working. Even when I don't feel it, you working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. shout out from your home this morning. He's worthy of praise. He's a way maker. And as we go before the Lord, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, again, hear our hearts. We give you praise. An opportunity this morning to shout your name and lift you up, to honor you, Lord, with the voice you gave us. Lord, I pray that this morning as we take you in, you would dwell wherever we are, in our homes, in this place, while we're worshiping, wherever someone is watching, Lord, let you be there. Let your Holy Spirit speak to their hearts, Lord. Pray that they would be comforted and they would be taken care of by your hand, Lord. And that again, an opportunity for someone, maybe they don't even understand how much you love them, maybe to speak to their heart this morning and draw them to you. Let them know they're precious. Let them know that you sent your son for each and every one of us, Lord. So we pray for life change this morning, Lord. We pray for heart change. We pray for our eyes to be set on you, Lord. And again, thank you for the opportunity. So as we seek you this morning, be with us. Speak to our hearts and all honor and glory go to you. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, worship team, for leading us again this morning. And light in the darkness, that is who you are. 
seems really appropriate to have used those lyrics about our God and who it is and uh, the one that we stand with and serve because it feels very much that the darkness of 2020 has rolled on into 2021. It was quite a week. Uh, during our Christmas service, we talked about the darkness that Scripture speaks of, the prophecy about Jesus that those dwelling in a land of darkness, light has come. And it has. Jesus is the light of the world. But as we watched things unfold this week in our nation's capital, we saw a lot of darkness. And many emotions went through our souls. Violence can never be condoned. Mob rule, whether from the left or from the right or from the middle, uh, is not what we're about. Our fellow citizens being the enemy, that's not our union. Uh, much of what is happening on the national stage is concerning. But my bigger concern is for the faith. Because the faith is getting distorted by the darkness. Uh, while people may have differing opinions on what is at risk of being lost in America, as a Christian leader, as a pastor, the biggest risk of what is being lost is the witness of the church to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we, the church, being the people who belong to God. You can be a patriot. I mean, I'm a proud Scotsman. But that isn't Christianity. And it's not my identity. Christianity is not Republican or Democrat. Uh, there are many good Americans who don't profess the faith that we hold so central in our lives. So it's not even about being a good American. Christianity is all about being a follower of Jesus. Someone who inaugurated a different kingdom. And we walk to the beat of a different drum. And that beat is countercultural. That beat is biased to denying ourselves and taking up a cross and following Jesus. What did the Apostle Paul say? The Apostle Paul said, Our citizenship is in heaven. Not meaning a destination that one day we'll reach when we die, but a loyalty that we express every single day. A loyalty to the man on the throne, not a man in a house. King Jesus receives our pledge of allegiance. He must. So, we pray. We search the scriptures. And as scriptures say, we pray for our leaders, we pray for our country, we pray for peace. But most of all, with new urgency, we pray and we work for the kingdom of God to come. Thy kingdom 
come. Thy will be done. 2021 starts with a choice. Are we going to be as Christ followers, hiding our light and joining in with darkness and hate and division and misrepresentation of what it is to be a Christian? Or are we going to step into the light? Are we going to follow the way of Jesus and put his kingdom and his gospel first? Ten days in, and already we have a fierce choice that we have to make. Be courageous, people. Be true. Be the light. But that's not all that's happened this week. That's not all that's happened this week. As our country remains politically divided, we have COVID raging. Two million new cases in 10 days. 24,000 people have died in 10 days. 700 died just yesterday in California. Tragic. This is not just the flu. So, even in our own South Valley family. Already we've lost a dear sister to this virus, and we have another member just now in ICU. More people in our own church family are testing positive. Many are being exposed and need to quarantine. And it's because of this. A huge spike happening, and a spike that's hitting right here amongst our own church family. That's why we took the decision to move online again. If there has ever been a faith that has put the vulnerable at the front of the line, it's the Christian faith. If there's ever been a faith that has put caring for the weak at the front of the line, it's the Christian faith. So, for the next many weeks, we will be broadcasting our Sunday services live at 9 a.m. And then you can watch them at 9 with us or later on, de depending on your schedule and choosing one of our platforms. Uh, but our campus now remains closed as we enter this spike and do our best to care for the weak and the vulnerable. But as we've been saying since March 2020, the campus might be closed but the church is not. The church is open and working. We're praying. We're serving. We're witnesses to who Jesus Christ is. And then, finally this morning, before Pastor Frank comes to preach this morning, uh, I get to preach next Sunday, but Pastor Frank's preaching this Sunday. Before Pastor Frank comes, last weekend, we had our senior pastor candidate visit and preach, and many of you met him and heard him. And the church then voted with a resounding affirmation that he should be called to be our next senior pastor. And that's exciting. And so just now, the executive board are working on some HR matters, and we look forward to formally announcing the arrival of our new senior pastor very shortly. So watch this space 
and we will make that known as quickly as the details are all finalized. So, we're, we're going to pray, and uh, remember also about your financial tithes. Uh, it's your financial giving that makes everything happen, and as an act of worship, we bring our tithes and our offerings, and you can do that online, or you can send it through the mail, or you can even, as you drive by one day, drop it off in the mailbox that's outside the church office, but safe for you to put it in there, and it's a, it's a secure drop box. So uh, remember to bring your, your tithes and your offerings, knowing the generosity of the people who are South Valley Community Church. But before Pastor Frank comes, let's bow our hearts and let's pray. And wherever you are, just still your soul, quieten your thoughts. Be the light in the darkness, O Lord. May your kingdom come. Intervene, O Lord. Intervene in our lives. Intervene in our church. Intervene in our country. Intervene in our world. We call out to you to stop the spread of hate and division. We call out to you to stop the spread of this horrible virus. We call out to you to bring more light and bring healing and bring clarity and be the love that we need to shine. And forgive us our sins as we choose to forgive those who sin against us. Come with mercy. Come with hope. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Pastor Frank. Well, good morning, South Valley friends and family. My very first time to do the message on uh, live media, uh, so I would encourage you don't bother adjusting your screen. This is as good as it gets, and you're just going to have to live with that. When I look out this, this morning, and, I, I, and of course, obviously, there are so many, so many empty chairs uh, in this building this morning, uh, my first thought was uh, somebody leaked out that it was me preaching, so I, I would imagine that's the case. But if you will take your Bible, uh, we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 12, uh, spend a few moments there, but primarily our study is going to be in the Old Testament, book of 1 Kings chapter 10. But for now, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus' words in Matthew 12 are addressed to two groups of people, the scribes and the Pharisees, who were masters of criticism. More often than not, they are seen in the gospel narratives criticizing Jesus, castigating Jesus. They interrogated Jesus and they were perpetually frustrated with Jesus. And some of Jesus' harshest words were addressed to these two groups of people. As a matter of fact, 
over in Matthew 15, Jesus refers to the Pharisees as blind leaders of the blind. They were oblivious to the obvious. The Lord Jesus Christ was right there in their midst, King of kings, Lord of lords, and yet they could not recognize him for who he was. Now, if you're in Matthew chapter 12, let me just give you some quick background that will tie in to what verses we're going to examine here in just a few moments. If you go back to Matthew chapter 4, here is what it says, and you don't need to turn there, but it says that Jesus went about all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. His fame then spreads throughout all of Syria and they brought unto him all of these sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and various torments who were then some demon-possessed, epileptics, uh, paralytics, and the Bible says he healed all of them. And then great multitudes of people followed him from Galilee, out of Decapolis, out of Jerusalem, from Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Myriads of people began to, to, to follow this amazing teacher and miracle worker. Following chapter 4, 5 through 7, Jesus then presents what we traditionally call the Sermon on the Mount, some phenomenal teaching and this is the, re, the re, response from the people is that he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately following that, Jesus cleanses a leper. He heals a centurion's servant. Peter's mother-in-law is healed. He calms a storm, heals a paralytic. He heals a woman who has a 12-year blood loss issue, raises a young girl from the dead, restores sight to a blind man, casts out demons from a man, and restores the man's ability to hear and to speak. And then in chapter 12, on the Sabbath, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand in the synagogue right in front of the scribes and the Pharisees. And you know what their response was? It says in verse 14 that the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. And in verse 24, they accused Jesus of being in league with Satan. This is how far they've come. And, and I tell you all of that because all of that makes verse 38, where we're going to begin this morning, absolutely ridiculous. Look at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Really? After all he's done, after all he's said, after your accusation that he's in league with Satan, and now you're telling him, we want to see a sign from you. You can almost feel the edge in Jesus' words. Verse 39, he answered and he said unto them, an evil, an adulterous generation seeks after a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Now the Pharisees, if you know anything about them at all, you know that they were really impressed with greatness. They were taken with religion, with pomp and circumstance and glory and power. I mean, Jesus describes their mindset in Matthew 23 when he said, all of their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at the feast, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by man, Rabbi, Rabbi. They loved notoriety. They lusted after being thought of as superior to other people. Now they had read about King Solomon, no doubt, Everybody's interested in the lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? They had read about Solomon and all of his glory, and they were impressed with that. But the Lord Jesus said that the queen of the south, as we will see, that is the queen of Sheba, had come from the uttermost parts of the, of the earth, most likely Ethiopia. She made this long, arduous, dangerous trek just to see Solomon in all of his glory. And Jesus said to them, there is one right here in front of you that is much greater than Solomon. And truly, we can see the greatness of our Redeemer if we will just turn back, turn back to 1 Kings chapter 10. These men in their blind arrogance missed Jesus. I wonder what they thought. When this nobody from Nazareth said to them, a greater than Solomon is here with you? Dr. R.G. Lee, an expositor, great Bible teacher from many, many years ago, he imagines what they might have said. Listen to this. They thought, well, Solomon was a king's son. You're a carpenter's son. Solomon was born in a palace. You were born in a stable. Solomon was born in a beautiful Jerusalem, but you were born in a little Bethlehem. Solomon had many servants. You don't have any servants. Solomon wore kingly robes. You're dressed in a peasant's garb. Solomon drank from vessels of gold. You had to ask a fallen woman, a Samaritan harlot, for a drink of water. Solomon was rich. You're poor. Solomon had armies, and you just have a few followers. Solomon built great cities, and you're a carpenter's son. You build plowshares and chairs. Solomon lived in a palace. You're homeless. Solomon had 1,400 chariots. You have to walk everywhere you go. Solomon ate with the queen of Sheba. You eat with publicans and sinners. How can you say that you're greater than Solomon? End quote. Well, folks, the story of Solomon and the queen of Sheba is found in 1 Kings chapter 10. And we, we allude to that because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12. He referenced her, and I want us to go back and just kind of connect the dots. Jesus said there's a greater than Solomon here. And I want to suggest to you several things in how Jesus is greater than Solomon. First of all, Jesus is greater in wisdom. But consider first the wisdom of Solomon. Verse 1 of chapter 10, 1 Kings now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue 
with camels that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all of her questions, and there was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. I mean, folks, she could not ask him a question that he couldn't answer. God had given to Solomon a supernatural gift of wisdom. As a matter of fact, if you drop down to verse 24 of chapter 10, it says, Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. No doubt Solomon was a wise man. Because it says back in chapter 4, it says this, And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled, it says in verse 30 of chapter 4, it excelled all the wisdom of the men of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than all men. Verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. And he also spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke of all animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish, and all men of the nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Folks, Solomon was the primary writer of the book of Proverbs. I mean, and just reading the book of Proverbs, you know that Solomon, he knew theology, he, he knew philosophy, he knew biology, he knew sociology, he knew meteorology, hydrology, zoology, all of that stuff. He could talk about the, everything from the great cedar trees of Lebanon to that little, little plant that grew out of the wall, that little shrub. He understood those things and could attach those things uh, to, to, to life and, and just the wisdom of, of creation he could talk about it this man had incredible wisdom however Jesus is greater in wisdom because Jesus made the things that Solomon knew about right all things were made through him and without him was nothing made that was made first John 1 3 I mean Solomon may have studied fish but Jesus loaded a fisherman's net with so many fish it almost sank two boats Solomon knew about Animology, the science of the wind currents and, and its circulation, but it was the Lord who stilled the winds and made the waves lay down at his feet. Solomon may have known about navigation and the currents of the ocean, and indeed he did because he would send his ships out, but the Lord Jesus was the one who walked on water. A greater than Solomon is here. And think about this. Even with all of his wisdom and knowledge, Solomon wasn't satisfied. You would think this man had it all, but he wasn't satisfied. Listen, look at what he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 17. I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. The point is, folks, this world's wisdom is not the answer. It's not the answer. The more a man knows, the more he knows that he does not know. And Solomon, listen, listen, folks, he, he, he achieved a lot of wonderful things. Solomon achieved a lot of wonderful things. But he says, all of my wisdom, all of my learning was just grasping for the wind. 
Jesus has greater wisdom. I mean, folks, you can know the facts. And you can, have a, you can have a full head but have an empty heart, right? Jesus gives wisdom that satisfies. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says that Jesus Christ is made unto us wisdom from God. Paul writes in Ephesians 1.8 that he has abounded towards us in all wisdom. You can get the best education a university can supply. But folks, that wisdom will never satisfy the longing of your heart. It didn't satisfy Solomon, and it will never satisfy you. You can have a degree in biology, the study of life, and not know Jesus, who is the life, right? You can study geology and the ages of rocks and not know Jesus, the rock of ages. You can study philosophy and not know the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way and the truth. Jesus is greater in wisdom than Solomon. But secondly, Jesus is greater in works than Solomon. You see, Solomon did achieve a lot of amazing and wonderful things. I mean, Solomon built an amazing house. Look at verse 4. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built, he had an amazing home. It took him 13 years to complete it. And it defies description, and we don't have time to go back to chapter 7 and look at it. If you want to see what his house was like, you can, you can spend some time there later. Just go back to chapter 7. Solomon built this incredible home. But let me say this to you. Jesus built a greater one. In, in John 14, too, Jesus said, In my Father's house are, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen, Solomon's house was a shack compared to what Jesus has gone to prepare for his bride. He built a wonderful house, took 13 years to complete, but he also set a very fine table. Look at verse 5. Here's something else that the Queen of Sheba, who had seen all of his wisdom, she saw the house that he had built, but verse 5 says she saw the food on his table. This man could set a spread. And she saw the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and the way they were dressed and, and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. When she saw all of this, there was no more spirit in her. Absolutely took her breath away. Folks, Solomon could set a feast. But Solomon couldn't take five loaves and a few fish and feed 5,000, could he? Solomon couldn't change pure water into sparkling wine. Think about this. Even if Solomon could, Solomon could not serve the bread of life, the water of life that satisfies the deepest longing of the human heart. He couldn't do that. You see, it doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much you acquire. If you don't know Jesus, you're ignorant and you're poor. Jesus is greater than Solomon. He and he alone can satisfy the deep longings of the human heart. Solomon ate and was hungry again, but Jesus is the bread of life. He is the water of life. Solomon also built a temple. Look at the rest of verse 5 again. The queen of Sheba saw his entryway. 
by which he went up to the house of the Lord. Now that's just a reference to the incredible temple that Solomon built. Historians tell us that it was probably the most magnificent building the world has ever seen or ever will see. It took 183,600 workers to build that temple. They worked on it for seven and a half years. Let me put it into some, some numbers you might be able to connect with. Kings County, it would have taken every person in Kings County, plus you would have had to have borrowed 30,000 people from Tulare County just to have the amount of people it took to build that temple. But Jesus has built an even greater temple. Do you want to know where his temple is? Well, it's not in the sticks and stucco that we often come to to worship in. The Bible says that you and I are the temple that Jesus is building. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, what? Do you not know that your body is a temple of God? Where's the temple that Solomon built? Folks, it's gone, right? You can't find a shred of it anywhere. But the temple that Jesus has built will live forever. This temple inhabited by the Holy Spirit will live forever. We, the church, we are the temple of God. We have to understand that, listen folks, that's what salvation is all about. Salvation is not primarily getting man out of earth into heaven. It's getting God out of heaven and into man. We are now the temples of Almighty God. Jesus is greater than Solomon in wisdom. Jesus is greater than Solomon in works. But I would also suggest to you, number three, that Jesus is greater in workers. Those who serve him. Those who do ministry for him. Now the Queen of Sheba sees this entourage of servants that Solomon has. She sees those coming and going and all of what it takes to maintain the temple and his house and his horses, his chariots, his stables, his zoo. All of the things that he had. And she sees all of these people who are engaged in serving their king. And she says this in verse 8, Happy are your men and happy are those who are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Can you imagine serving in a court of such a, an incredibly wise and wealthy king as Solomon was? But a greater than Solomon is here. And his servants are more blessed. Far more so than Solomon's servants could ever be. Because you see, the servants of Jesus have something far greater than just happiness. Not only do they have happiness, but what do they have? Joy, right? Joy. Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Some of you need to check your joy level today. Something's happened to it. Listen, a child of God, walking by the Spirit of God, has continual, conspicuous, and contagious joy. Don't let what is coming across the airwaves on your television set steal your joy. You have a great Redeemer. Hold on to Him. Folks, we are to serve the Lord with gladness. Think about this. Solomon's gone. His palace is gone. His sumptuous table is gone. All of those who served Him are gone. But you and I, 
We can't give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple and lose our reward. We have people who serve on this campus, people who serve off of this campus, meeting the needs of hundreds. We have, we have people who work in children's ministry, parking lot greeters. We have people who check temperatures. We have tech booth workers. Everything that you do for Jesus is noticed. And you'll lose none of the reward. So you can have joy in whatever you do that brings honor and glory to your Lord. Happy are His servants. The service of Jesus is wonderful, isn't it? Servants of Jesus have greater joy. The workers for Christ are far better off than the workers who work for Solomon. Jesus is greater in wisdom. He's greater in works. He's greater in his workers. But lastly, and I don't even need to elaborate on this. You know this. Jesus is greater than Solomon in wealth. Now Solomon had considerable wealth. No, no doubt about that. 1 Kings chapter 10, look at verse 14. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 shekels of gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold, three minas of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. All King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Not one was silver, for silver was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. For the king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. So King Solomon, look at this, surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Listen, you have a wealthy empire. When silver is counted as nothing. But can I suggest to you this? According to Revelation 21, 21. In heaven, the place that Jesus is preparing, the new asphalt is gold. The Bible says that the streets are of a transparent, pure gold. Now the Queen of Sheba, who herself knew wealth, when she saw the wealth and the wisdom of Solomon, she said, the breath has gone out of me. There was no more spirit left in her. She said, the half hasn't been told. I mean, it just took her breath away. But Jesus is greater in wealth than even Solomon. You know how wealthy he is? Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And all of those who dwell therein. Psalm 50, 10 says that the Lord owns a cattle. Owns a cattle on a thousand hills. All of the minerals of this earth belong to Jesus. Every star is Jesus's. All things were made through him and without him was nothing made that was made, right? Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, listen to this, that God in these last days has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, 
through whom also he made the worlds. Folks, it was made by him and it was made for him. And I tell you this, it is all coming back to him. It's coming back to him. People ask, what is this world coming to? It's coming to Jesus. This world is coming back to him. He gets the title deed handed to him in the book of Revelation. Solomon was wealthy, folks, but he left you and I nothing. Right? But as a believer in Jesus Christ, do you understand that you're now an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ? Whatever he has, you're a joint heir of that. You know what a joint heir is, right? Here's a definition. A person who shares with another or others the right to inherit a person's money, property, or title when that person dies. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17, Paul said this, And if we're children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. According to this verse, we share in the sufferings of Christ now, and we will share in the glory of Christ later as His co-heirs, as His joint heirs. Folks, the term heirs of God simply emphasizes our relationship to God, right? We're, as His children, Peter said this, that we are waiting for an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for us. In other words, because God has made us His children, we have full rights to receive His inheritance. We are His beneficiaries. Someday, we will hear those words from Matthew 25. The king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says that we're to give thanks to the Father, listen to this, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And then down in chapter 3, 24 of Colossians, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Folks, Christ's inheritance is, is the whole universe, everything. All things were made by Him and for Him, right? It's His, all that's in existence. Hebrews 1-2, remember? The Son has been appointed heir of all things. And being a co-heir with Christ means that we, as God's adopted children, will share in the inheritance of Jesus. To put it simply, what belongs to Jesus will also belong to us. Listen to this. Let, let this grab your heart. If nothing else I've said this morning encourages you, listen to this. We are as welcome in God's family as Jesus is. Think about that. Paul said in Ephesians 1.6, he said, we are accepted in the beloved Paul says this, and I'll bring this to a conclusion. You are no longer slaves, Galatians 4, 7. You are no longer slaves, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Think of all that means. 
Everything that God owns belongs to us as well because we belong to Him. Our internal, our eternal inheritance as co-heirs with Christ is the result of our amazing, great Redeemer's grace. Now, I don't know how you can walk away from this and not be encouraged a little bit because truly, one greater than Solomon is here. Father God, thank you for your word. I trust that today your church has been edified, built up in the most holy faith. I know there's a lot of discouraging things going on in our world that's trying to, to drain out our joy. But when we consider Jesus Christ, our Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith, and his grace that causes us to inherit all things with him. How can we be discouraged with news like that? It doesn't matter, Father. Not really what happens in the course of a day. When we walk in the truth of your word, it encourages and strengthens us. So I pray that those listening right now would be encouraged. But also pray, if there are some watching this, listening to this, that have never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, that I pray that today they will surrender, repent, and turn to Christ for eternal life, inviting Him into their life. For as many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become the sons of God. So Father, draw, as our great Redeemer, draw them to Yourself. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Have a good and godly week. Take care.